In his well-known sermon that he preached over 1,200 times during his ministry, the famed pastor R.G. Lee said this about women, quote, The spiritual life of a nation, city, town, school, church, or home never rises any higher than the spiritual life of women. When women sag morally and spiritually, men sag morally and spiritually. When women slump morally and spiritually, men slip morally and spiritually. End quote. He then went on to say that the converse was true as well. Quote, but while that is true, it is also gloriously true that some of the most beautiful and spiritually fragrant flowers that blossom in God's kingdom gardens, some of the most luscious spiritual fruit that ripens in God's kingdom orchards, and some of the most potent streams that flow out to make gardens out of the desert spots of the world are realities because of women's chastity, faith, service, sacrifice, and devotion. End quote. If this be so, then in the garden of the history of the Christian church, tucked in an out-of-the-way corner, is a beautiful rose that is the life of Maikin Wings. I'm Ronnie Brown, and this is Forgotten. Although there were others that attempted to uncover and spread the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that had been covered for centuries by the superstition and tradition of the Catholic Church, it was not until 1517 and the nailing of the 95 Theses to the church house door at Wittenberg, Germany by a Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther that a wave of change was unleashed that could not be stamped out by the established church. This illuminating change, this message of the grace of God, to be solely had through the person and work of Jesus Christ, quickly spread throughout Europe. It caused many to look at the scriptures through fresh eyes and come to conclusions which were radically different from the practice of the Catholic Church. One such group were the Anabaptists. Catholic and Protestant tradition was that baptism was performed not long after birth. This practice was deeply entrenched not only in the church tradition, but in the state as well. Recognition as a citizen came from this church rite performed on the infant. But as believers in Jesus Christ looked closely at the Scripture, many became convinced that the ordinance of baptism was to be experienced by those who have consciously and intentionally placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The religious world around them watched in shock as they followed the New Testament example going into the waters of baptism as an adult. They were derided and scorned, being called Anabaptists, or again baptizers. This name stuck, and with it came an onslaught of fierce persecution. Maikin Weens lived during the mid-16th century. She was the wife of Matthias Weens, who by trade was a stonemason, but by the call of God was an Anabaptist pastor in Antwerp, Belgium. Such a calling was dangerous, for one never knew when the practice of their outlawed faith would cost them their life. Yet in the spring of 1573, it was not Matthias who had paid the price for his deeply held conviction, but his precious wife, Maikin. She, along with several other women, were discovered exercising their faith in a meeting of prayer and Bible study, simply worshiping God by the dictates of their conscience. They were arrested 
and imprisoned. Catholic authorities knew that this was an opportunity to make an example using this soft spot of their women to inflict pain on what they deemed as heretical teaching. From April to October of 1573, these women were tortured, cruelly abused, and subjected to constant badgering and intimidation in hopes that they would renounce their beliefs and embrace Catholic dogma. For seven long months, these women would be deprived of their families and live in deplorable conditions in a medieval prison cell. All that remains of this experience are a handful of letters that Maikin Weens wrote to her husband and nine children. These letters reveal a woman of real, tangible vulnerabilities, coupled with a spiritual strength in Jesus Christ. To her husband, she wrote of her difficulty in enduring persecution with a thankful heart. Quote, I regret that I am not more thankful for all that comes upon me, for it is all the work of the Lord. We ought to thank the Lord in adversity, as well as in that which is agreeable to the flesh. For if the Lord takes all from us, He takes from us no more than what He has lent to us, for it belongs to us no longer than it pleases the Lord. Oh, that I can always thank the Lord as well when my flesh suffers adversity as when it prospers. Then we can thank the Lord indeed. Oh, my very dear and beloved husband, pray the Lord heartily in my behalf to remove the conflict from me, for it is in his power if it is his pleasure. Truly the Lord has said, He that does not forsake everything is not worthy of me, for the Lord well knew that it would come hard to the flesh. But I hope the Lord will also help me through, even as he has helped many, and for which I can simply trust him. Maikin was selflessly concerned for the financial well-being of her family, when it came to the subject of visiting her in prison. Quote, As regards further the visiting, you may do in the matter according to your pleasure. For I should indeed often desire your visit, were it not for the expense. But if you want to make your heart glad, you may come. I dare say nothing else, except that it costs so much. Else I should desire to have you come soon. If you come, go to no expense in the way of bringing anything with you as it costs far too much, end quote. Her deep love for her husband and the pain of the heartrending separation can be felt in these words. Quote, Oh, my dear friend, I should never have thought the parting should come so hard to me as it does. True, the imprisonment seemed hard to me, but it was because they were so tyrannical. But now, the parting is hardest of all, end quote. In a later letter to her husband, her resolve in the Lord is found to be unshaken. Quote, Beloved husband and brother in the Lord, I inform you that my heart is still fixed to offer up a sacrifice to the Lord. The Lord be praised for the great grace which he shows to me, poor, miserable creature. And I am also tolerably well according to the flesh, as I trust through the grace of the Lord that it is also with you, my most beloved in the Lord. Nothing more at this time, but I commend you to the Lord in the words of His grace. This is the good wish and greeting of my heart. Farewell. Pray for me. By me, your dear wife and sister in the Lord, Maikin Weens. End quote. Some of the most stirring words from the pen of Maikin Weens were written to her firstborn son, Adrian, who she pleaded with to follow the Lord. Quote, my dear child, Adrian, my son, 
I leave you this for a testament, because you are the oldest, to exhort you that you should begin to fear our dear Lord, for you are getting old enough to perceive what is good or evil. My son, from your youth, follow that which is good and depart from evil. Do good while you have time, and look at your father, how lovingly he went before me with kindness and courteousness, always instructing me with the word of the Lord. Hence, my dear son, beware of that which is evil, that you have nothing to lament afterwards. Hear the instruction of your mother. Hate everything that is loved by the world in your sensuality, and love God's commandment, and let the same instruct you, for it teaches, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, that is, forsake his own wisdom, and pray the Lord, thy will be done. If you do this, the anointing of the Holy Ghost will teach you all that you are to believe. Believe not what men say, but obey that which the New Testament commands you, and ask God to teach you His will. Trust not your understanding, but in the Lord, and let your counsel abide in Him, and ask Him to direct you into all His ways. My child, learn how you are to love God the Lord, how you are to honor your Father, and all other commandments which the Lord requires of you. Whatsoever is not contained therein, believe not, and whatever is contained therein, obey. Join yourself to those that fear the Lord and depart from evil, and through love do all that is good. My dear son, yield yourself to that which is good. The Lord will give you understanding. I give you this as my last adieu to you. My dear child, heed the Lord's chastening, for whenever you do evil, He will chasten you in your mind. Desist then and call to the Lord for help, and hate that which is evil and the Lord will deliver you, and good will come to you." Quote. On the eve of her execution, just after she was sentenced to be burned at the stake, she wrote to her son Adrian again, quote, Oh, my dear son, though I am taken from you here, strive from your youth to fear God, and you shall have your mother again up yonder in the New Jerusalem, where parting will be no more. My dear son, I hope now to go before you. Follow me thus, as much as you value your soul, for besides this there shall be found no other way to salvation. Thus, I will now commend you to the Lord. May He keep you. I trust the Lord that He will do it. If you seek Him, love one another all the days of your life. Take Hanskin in your arms now and then for me. And if your father should be taken from you, care for one another. The Lord keep you one and all. My dear children, kiss one another once for me, for remembrance. Adieu, my dear children, all of you. My dear son, be not afraid of this suffering. It is nothing compared to that which shall endure forever. The Lord takes away all fear. I did not know what to do for joy when I was sentenced. Hence, cease not to fear God because of this temporal death. I cannot fully thank my God for the great grace which he has shown me. Adieu once more, my dear son Adrian. Ever be kind, I pray you, to your afflicted father all the days of your life, and do not grieve him. This I pray all of you, for what I write to the oldest I also mean to say to the youngest. Herewith I will commend you to the Lord once more. I have written this after I was sentenced to die for the testimony of Jesus Christ on the fifth day of October, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ, 1573, end quote.
on the morning of October 6th by Eakin Weens, along with the other women taken captive with her, whose names are lost to history, were brought forth from their prison of confinement to be publicly burned at the stake. It did not take long for the Catholic Church to realize the power in the final words of executed heretics who surprisingly did not beg for their lives screaming in agony, but on the whole held fast to their confession by seemingly supernatural means. The dying words and exhortations of martyrs had a profound effect on the witnesses to the execution. Instead of acting as a warning and a deterrent to anyone who would oppose the teaching of the church, they became an accelerant, igniting the passion of many to place their faith and trust in Jesus alone. In order to stay this effect, the Catholic Church devised a technique to silence its victims. The tongue screw was a device designed with two small iron tongs that could be used to reach in and pinch the tongue, pulling it out of the mouth. The tongs were fitted with a screw that threaded through the tongue, then into and through the tongue. Once affixed to the tongue, the heavy apparatus hanging outside the mouth would prevent the individual from uttering one intelligible word. Moments before her execution, this device was clasped to the tongue of Baikin Weens so that not one song of praise to God could be sounded from her lips. Not one prayer of thanksgiving could be heard. Not one word of testimony could be shared before the gawking eyes of the execution witnesses. In silence, she, along with her companions, were marched out to the prepared stakes. The charges read against them, and their bodies were set ablaze. Among the eyewitnesses that day was her beloved 15-year-old son, Adrian, who could not stand away from the execution of his precious and faithful mother. With his three-year-old brother Hans in his arms, he was determined to get one last glimpse of the one who brought him into this world and who was willing to spare no expense to bear witness of the one who gave his all on the cross for her. But as his mother was brought out and bound to the stake, Adrian was so overcome with emotion at the scene set before him and the trauma so great to his heart that he lost consciousness. By the time he awoke, the fires of execution had consumed the body of his mother and reduced her to charred remains of blackened ash and bones. With the stench of burnt flesh weighing heavy in the air, Adrian dragged himself over to the stake where his mother once stood. No doubt through tear-filled eyes, he probed the darkened ash heap for the only impervious reminiscence of his mother's faithfulness, the tongue screw. The torturous device that held her silent would be the memorial by which her love and devotion to Jesus Christ would forever be known. In one of the letters to her husband, where she lamented her inability to be thankful for the suffering that she was meant to endure, Maikin Weens wrote the following, quote, Oh, how easy it is to be a Christian, so long as the flesh is not put to the trial, or nothing has to be relinquished. Then it is an easy thing to be a Christian, end quote. In a day of casual Christianity, where the cost of following Christ seems to be held as a closely guarded secret so as not to frighten away the curious inquirer that might sit in a pew for a few passing moments or drop a few paltry coins in the coffer. The words of this faithful pastor's wife may sound odd 
or maybe even unchristian. But the message of Jesus is sharp in its meaning. In order to walk in his steps, we must deny ourselves. We must surrender to our own cross. We must value the unseen and the eternal over the invites of this present and pleasurable world. Maikin Weens displayed this in her martyrdom, a disregard for the suffering inflicted by her tormentors and a focus on that heavenly object which could never be taken away. Jesus brought this into sharp focus when he said, Be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more they can do, but I will forewarn you who you shall fear. Fear him, which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Forgotten is written and produced by me, Bonnie Brown. You can find out more about this show at ForgottenPodcast.com. I'm also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash ForgottenPodcast. Forgotten is also available on various podcasting apps, such as iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Downcast. Be sure to stop into iTunes and leave a review. And as always... Thanks for listening.